Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. It's lovely to be back in the chair for my first show for the year, and it's equally lovely to be introducing my first guest for the year. Joining me on the line is creator, performer, uh, Michelle Myers, who joins us to talk about her show, and then she became a chair, currently showing at TheatreWorks. Michelle, a very good morning to you. A very good morning to you. Thank you. So, in terms of this show itself, I understand you developed it while you were living in Berlin for four years. And am I right in thinking that it has already had a Berlin season last year? Yeah, it's had it's had actually two seasons. It's kind of like a very long form project that might be in its final form at the moment. Um, we'll see what how I feel after the show. But yeah, we started kind of working on it four years ago in a very different kind of context, and it's just slowly grown over time. But yeah, what's the elevator pitch for the show? How do you describe it to people? <laughs> oh God, um, I mean, what was I saying? It's like a, a show about death set in a tropical decaying paradise. Um, so it's essentially about um, trying to navigate the very kind of bizarre and discombobulating time as you wait for someone that you love to die. But then that makes it sound really kind of dreary. It's also mad and funny and, yeah, is that an elevator pitch? Kind of, right? That kind of works for me, yeah. <laughs> so let's unpack that a little bit. The notion of um, being in a waiting room, in any kind of waiting room, whether you're waiting for to see a doctor, whether you're waiting, as yeah. uh, you've said about this work, uh, for, for somebody to die... There's mm. that weird sense of being in a non-space in a non-time, which is kind yeah. of analogous to 2020 in, in its entirety. Well, that was that was my pitch to theatre works. I was like, it works now because there are so many elements of like the same kind of essence, like obviously in a different context, but it's kind of like this long, expansive space where you're waiting for something to change and you don't really know what to do with yourself and you don't know when it's going to change. So I just thought it was really fitting for, yes, the wonderful year that we had last year. And in terms of other elements and other aspects of the show, it, it's clearly mm. it's not just you sitting on a chair for 70 minutes staring at people. <laughs> Uh, no, not really. Um, that might be the next the, the next version of the show, but um, no, there's like it's really I've got a really incredible lighting and sound team that have kind of created an entire universe. But yeah, there's like I guess the the foundation is the sense of waiting, but there's like it opens up into vignettes uh, that explore kind of certain experiences from that bizarre time and kind of expand them into, I don't know, mad characters or, yeah. So there's lots of um, big bits amongst all of the waiting as well. And uh, is it a monologue in the sense that it is kind of one character, you are embodying one character delivering delivering the text or are you playing a no. number of roles in the work? Yeah, a number of roles. I guess uh, the, if, if there is a character, the one character would be the, the person that's waiting but the in-between is kind of elements of different characters or different kind of feelings or moments. So I guess you'd call them different characters. In terms of the, the emotional tone of it, you mentioned that notion of kind of sitting waiting for somebody to die. Uh, mm. Talk to us about trying to not only do justice 
to kind of the to, to grief, but to try and capture mm. a sense of grief kind of dramatically and emotionally without necessarily being bogged down in crying and wailing for seventy minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that it was it was a difficult process because I think in the very beginning we had to kind of get through those ideas to kind of find a different structure that kind of captured the essence of that without drowning in the because it's a lot of sorrow, but there's so much more to grief and it can be really bizarre and. You can act in very strange ways. So I tried to pick out some moments that were, if you look back, so hilarious and bizarre and kind of blow them up as well and kind of create more of a, a full landscape rather than just the, the, the overwhelming kind of sadness, like to pick out these, like, I don't know. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's a mad time and there's definitely, like, a lot more to it than that. So it was just kind of working through it a lot, a lot, a lot, getting a lot of the shit out of the way and then, yeah, just picking the moments and kind of tying them together. And so in mm. terms of kind of structuring a show like this, uh, yeah. I mean, the easy way out would be to go, oh, let's just kind of do the five stages of grieving and we'll move through that as a dramatic process. But that would, yeah. A, be fairly dull and repetitive because I think yeah. people are too very familiar with that kind of perhaps that structure and also sure. kind of grief feels so different to, to for, for so many different people. Exactly. Well, that was the thing because I guess like the show initially was kind of inspired by the fact that I had never had to grieve someone before and I didn't know what to do. And so then I went and found all of this literature on like dying and I was like, oh, okay, the stages of grief. And I tried to kind of follow them and then realized I don't feel any of this. I feel like this. And so it was, um, that's where that kind of came from to, I guess, to kind of explore for myself and perhaps show what it can be like. And it can be messy and disgusting and embarrassing and all of these things. But yeah, it's definitely not linear. And I mean, those, yeah. And it's, 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 an emotional roller coaster ride because that's one of the things. And regardless of mm. whether you're grieving um, a loved one, regardless of whether you're mm. grieving a pet, or perhaps you're even you're grieving a, a loss of possibility, for it, which I think yeah. is something that a lot of people experienced last year. Absolutely. And the fact yeah. that you can move through moments of numbness, moments of rage, uh, and then moments mm. of hilarity when you suddenly check oh, yourself absolutely. and go, "Why am I kind of laughing like this?" I, this is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maniacal laughter, what? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so in terms of kind of the work itself, uh, and then she became a chair, which, as you said, you've kind of, it's had a couple of seasons previously uh, before opening uh, at Theatre Works. How has the work grown and changed over that time to to arrive at this particular version of it? Uh, It's, I think, because it is such an intimate, like, personal story, I think it has become less sentimental, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't have the same kind of grip. But I had to kind of like go through this like personal catharsis, I think, to be able to look at it from the outside a little bit and see what I really wanted to tell. So it's kind of just found its form. It's a really strong structure, sound like a nice visual tone. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it might be its final form. It's feeling very polished. (laughs) Now, you were living in Berlin for four years. Just uh, as a digression for the moment, what's the the performance scene, the the independent theatre scene like over there? Uh, It's tricky. Um, it's, it's sometimes amazing. Um, there's a, there's a lot of like, it's very fun because, you know, Berlin's in the middle of Europe and so you can see theatre companies from everywhere. So that's amazing. But the English speaking theatre scene, um, was 
small, small, and people didn't necessarily want to go to the theatre. I'm sure you're aware that Berlin is quite a techno and party city, so everyone can happily go to clubs, but to drag people to the theatre was a little bit trickier. And conversely, what's it like being back in Melbourne after four years away? Oh, it's amazing. I, I feel like I had to go away to come back and realise how, how lovely it is. Everyone's so friendly. I was so just taken aback. I was like, oh, wow, I can have small talk with people and everyone's just lovely. So, yeah, it's very good. Now, given that you're performing and then she became a chair at Theatre Works mm. and on until mm-hmm. the 16th of January, what's it like yeah. performing in Theatre Works at the moment? For Because for people who haven't visited the venue mm. yet since it reopened at the start of the year, the Theatre Works yeah. team have taken out the traditional seating bank and made a COVID-safe environment with a series of kind of per, uh, glass houses or perspex boxes so audiences mm-hmm. can sit safely in comfort with a perspex wall between them and the performer, which means kind of uh, less chance of breathing in aerosols containing COVID, etc. Yeah. Is it odd, though, for you as a performer, kind of performing to people who are on the other side of a perspex screen? Yeah, I mean, it definitely has transformed the the audience-performer relationship. It feels like there is a barrier, and because the the booths are a bit raised as well, and so you're really kind of, like, down in the middle because it's in the round, they're all around you. So it feels a little bit, my kind of first reaction was I felt like I was a science experiment, and everyone in the booths were kind of just watching things unfold and taking notes. It's, It's bizarre, but it's really, um, really just very interesting for sure. It must be delightful, though, to be performing again after uh, kind of an, nice. an extended period <laughs> of just not being able to. Oh, it's fantastic. It's so, it was so nice just to have a project to work towards as well during all of that kind of downtime, just knowing that at some point this would happen and, you know, we would be on stage again and doing the things we love. So, yeah, it's been really great. Michelle Meyer's work, And Then She Became a Chair, is on until the 16th uh, at Theatre Works, which is located at 14 Ackland Street, St Kilda. If you want to know more about the show or how to book tickets, just jump online, www.theatreworks.org.au and you can book to see Michelle Myers and then she became a chair, which is showing at, he says, looking at his note, 7pm uh, <laughs> to, tonight through until Saturday. Correct. Beautiful. Yeah. So uh, that website again, www.theatreworks.org.au to see Michelle Myers uh, performing in her solo show and then she became a chair. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. Triple R. Dean Bryant is a writer and director who, uh, amongst other things, has a long association with the MTC, uh, which is where he's presenting a new work coming up in a few weeks' time. It's not happening until February, but I suspect it's going to book out, so good to get in early for this one. It's called Well, That Happened, and Dean, it's a show about... 2020, kind of, and what, a verbatim theatre piece? Yeah, that's exactly what it is, Richard. It's nice to be speaking to you again about theatre. Theatre's happening again. <laughs> so, yes, I um, when the MTC decided how they were going to come back again after, you know, being closed for most of last year, they asked me um, to put something together for a weekend because they're opening uh, with some summer shows uh, gently, really, before we move into a proper season again. And Brett Shee, the artistic director, said, 
there? Have you got any ideas? Uh, and I was like, you know what? I'd love to uh, interview a group of actor friends who I know all had kind of milestone years, apart from the same stuff that everyone went through, about what the year was for them, uh, how they reacted at certain points, and take their words and verbatim theatre it into a kind of, like a retrospective or like a summation of, of an experience of five people. Is it in some ways a theatrical exorcism of 2020? It's kind of summing it up, packing it away and putting it behind us? Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, we're all hoping for an exorcism, but... But one wonders with um, constant border closures and outbreaks and all this, you're like, you, you can't even 100% rely that we'll be doing the show on the 12th and 13th of Feb, but I'm going to press on as if it's all going to be good from now on. I think that's the only way we can proceed, because otherwise, we're gonna, yes, we still need to be cautious because we are still living in the middle of a pandemic, but yes, let, let's also be optimistic and, and look towards the future, while simultaneously with this work, looking to the past. Now, as you say, you've, you've interviewed a group of kind of theatre friends extracted elements of their life and created the script. This isn't your first verbatim piece uh, by any means. Back in, what, 2013, was it, that yeah. Gabies premiered at Midsummer, And that was a verbatim piece about the, uh, the about Gabies, the, the children of gay and lesbian parents. Yes. So that's kind of... Um, that was what gave me the, uh, the idea that I could create something new very quickly uh, because... Gabies was created to celebrate Midsummer's 25th anniversary. And at the time, the um, Midsummer board were like, how can we actually mark this occasion with a new theatre piece? And I said, well, I, because gay marriage was not a thing still, it was, we were still fighting for it. I said, well, you know what? One of the biggest arguments against gay marriage is what's going to happen to their kids or their kids or whatever. And so I said, well, I'll go to the kids of gay parents um, aged, you know, as young as a year, as old as in their 40s, 50s, and just say, what's your experience been like having a gay parent? So from that, I knew that you could get some really fascinating stuff from people quickly, and you could shape that into something that um, gives you an overview of an issue and or an experience, and that then kind of works really nicely as an event-based piece of theatre, i.e. something that's only there really to live very briefly for the people in the room that night. And I thought, well, that's a perfect way to for me to deal with... Um, 2020 and the pandemic let's not let's not try and create something that's meant to have longevity let's sort of just celebrate what it is that we've missed being in a room together watching people talk about you know their life and actually just let it be a kind of effervescent thing that then bubbles up and disappears again. Which is a, a very different way to make theatre. The, the, the development time for a, normally for a, uh, particularly a main stage theatre piece is several years. So to, to have this rapid fire, almost theatre in a moment uh, or theatre of the moment is a very unusual approach. Yes, absolutely. It's, um, it's great. I actually prefer theatre that's made quickly. I've been on many shows that have taken years to develop and it's great. And there's a certain joy at when you get to a season of those shows that, you know, you drove it there. But coming from the world that I also work in a lot, which is cabaret, there's a real joy in, I've got an idea, I've got a person, what can we do? How can we surprise and delight people with no resources except your voice, your presence and some words? And that's what this sort of theatre is. If you've just tuned in, I'm speaking with Dean Bryant, writer and director about uh, a new work, Well, That Happened, which is going to be showing uh, at MTC Southbank Theatre uh, on the 12th and 13th of February. So it's about a month away, but uh, given the seating restrictions in theatre, I recommend booking because it will probably sell out quite quickly. Now, Dean, one of the things that intrigues me with 
with this work. Well, that happened. So as we've said, you've, you've sat down and interviewed theatre friends about their 2020 and turned it into a verbatim theatre work. So Esther Hannaford, Bert Labonte, uh, Zara Newman, Christina O'Neill and Eddie Perfect. Now, I suspect sitting down to interview them must have been a lot easier than some of the interviews you did for Gabies back in 2013, which at one point I understand you were chasing a three-year-old around the garden <laughs> while he was looking at flowers and butterflies. I can't even believe you remember that. Yeah, I, I mean, that actually was one of the better interviews because that was actually the fun. <laughs> um, but you know what? The interviews were exactly the same in feeling, which is odd because all the five um, that are doing well that happened have been good friends of mine for a very long time. But there's something about the space of, um, of, of the agreement that you're there for, which is I am someone who is here to hear your story, that people, I don't know what it is, it's something about the listening that you are in that moment that instantly gives them the ease to talk about themselves. So in both circumstances, one being almost entirely strangers, which was Gabies, and two being entirely good friends, which is the new one, people just, it shocks me how quickly they open up to some of the deepest, most intimate thoughts they've had. I wonder, would they open up in the same way to a stranger as well? Because sometimes we know that it is easier to, to, to pour your heart out to a stranger than to a friend. Did being a friend, do you think at any stage, inhibit the conversation? Or did it allow you to cut, cut through the chit-chat and get to the heart of their experiences of 2020 quickly? Chit-chat's a great word because I actually think that was the in. I sort of just surreptitiously pressed record on my voice memo when um, just sort of mid, um, hello, how are you going? So that really, it never, I never officially said, let's start an interview. So in a way, they were aware, because the iPhone was on the table, that we were recording. But in many ways, we were, we were just sort of, uh, it was like I'd gone, you know, I did hear from you all through the year at various times, but actually let's just recap everything and actually, now that I'm here, let me ask you, how did you really deal with that? And oh, what happened when that thing happened? And did you talk to your kids about that? And all sorts of stuff that I may not have ever had a reason to ask in general conversation, but, but now that gave it a greater purpose. In terms of the years that people had, uh, and this again will be something to... Th- to see in well that happened and to experience how they talk about it. But as you said, they, they all had a, a different uh, experience of 2020. In Eddie Perfect's case, for example, he'd just been cast in the Dolly Parton musical 9 to 5, which was supposed mm. to open in April last year in Sydney and then come to Melbourne. Uh, and then suddenly in March, everything grinds to a halt. So you've got all these expectations of the year ahead kind of just ending and shows that you've perhaps already started rehearsal for, started reading scripts for, etc., etc., suddenly just doesn't happen. So in some ways, this is a memorial to the theatre we didn't see in 2020, as much as it is kind of a, an experience of the lives of the people you've interviewed. That's really interesting. It's like, no one mourned anything that didn't happen. That hasn't. That didn't come up even once, which... They all lost work and they all commented, I think all five of them had jobs that they lost, but not a single one ever mentioned, oh, I wish I'd done that. So I don't know if people just were really good at coming to terms with letting go of stuff and being open to what did come out of it because all of them actually did new jobs that they didn't expect or in um, Christina's case had a baby, had her first child, which... You know, she always knew she was having the child. That wasn't a surprise. But 
losing um, everybody talking about Jamie, which was the musical she was a lead in, she actually said, you know what, I am glad that I didn't do that show because I there were things I needed to focus on with, my, with Theo, my newborn, and I'm glad that I never had to choose between the two um, attention of that. So um, I don't know. I feel like there wasn't anything we didn't see that I wanted to see. I also, I lost jobs, of course. But then they were fun home at, um, at Melbourne Theatre Company and Merrily We Roll Along, the Sondheim musical up at the Hayes. But then both of them have been transferred to this year we're in now. So in a way, I feel like a lot of people haven't lost, lost the jobs. They're just wondering if and when they'll appear again. And speaking of appearing again, the presentation of Well That Happened, as we said, it, it's going to be, this is going to be a stripped back kind of uh, re- theatrical response. So uh, how's it going to look? What's, what are we, people going to see when they come along to the, uh, the South Bank Theatre on the 12th and the 13th of February? They're going to see people on stage in the same room with them. <laughs> <laughs> that alone is the novelty, I think, at the moment. Um, I mean, the power of these pieces is always the uh, human voice, uh, the intention, their faces, their bodies, what they can do. And with these kinds of performers, you don't need to actually provide much more than that. There'll also be a um, grand piano on stage because Matthew Frank, my um, writing and life partner, is underscoring and will probably write some little almost miniatures of songs to just um, give some musical shape to the evening. Also, like, unsurprisingly, all five of these actors are brilliant singers, so I chose them for that, but also it would be a little bit odd if I then didn't take advantage of the fact that they're incredible singers. So I'm guessing scripts in hand, it's going to be a raw performance, but it's also going to be thrillingly live and of the moment, which I think is something that we've all missed. That's exactly it. I mean, it's interesting. The, the actors just got the script like yesterday or the day before because I've been doing the transcription part, for example, takes so long. Um, you know, you, you I, work in, yes, you're I, a journalist. <laughs> uh, it's time-consuming, but as a creator, you get to know the words intimately. What they said, they've all had some experience with verbatim theatre, and they're like, but you never do verbatim theatre with your own words. So I think that will be the fascinating part of this delivering things that you said once as an actor on stage, your own words. I'm very much looking forward to seeing the result. Well, That Happened, written and directed by Dean Bryant, is taking place in the Sumner Theatre at the South Bank Theatre, kind of South Bank here in Melbourne, on the 12th and the 13th of February. Uh, You can jump online, www.mtc.com.au. Tickets are $29 plus a booking fee. So mtc.com.au to book for Well, That Happened on the 12th and the 13th of February. Dean Bryant, thank you so much for the chat and uh, hurrah for the return of live theatre. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. Opening tomorrow night at Off the Curb Gallery in Johnson Street, Collingwood. Not one, but four new exhibitions. Uh, and rather than get one of the artists to tell us about their work and uh, and not chat about the others, instead I have asked the founder and director of Off the Curb to join us on the program to tell us about the exhibitions and about the artists. Sheeni Pararajasingham, welcome to Triple R. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks for uh, looking after Off the Curb and inviting us 
to speak. Now, you've got not one but four new exhibitions. They're showing from today with the official opening tomorrow. Uh, before yeah. we start to talk about the kind of the, the individual artists and their work, given that you're the director of Off the Curb, how do you select the, which artists that you will actually show? Um, so basically, we are in the business of supporting local emerging artists. Um, most of them come from Melbourne and the local area of the north side, or sometimes obviously the south side. And most of them are emerging to mid-career. So we really want to propel uh, the local talent. We have a call-out every year, an artist apply to exhibit, and based on where they are with their career and how they fit our model, we give them the opportunity to exhibit. Often uh, there are processes of meetings with them to talk about where they can develop their art practice so that they can better fit our audiences. So of the, the four artists, uh, and one of the things that I recommend while we're chatting, if people are curious to know more about the artists and their yeah. work, if uh, yeah. they jump online offthecurb.com.au and click on the exhibitions tab, you can look at yeah. the catalogue for each artist and actually see the works that uh, as we discuss them. So offthecurb.com.au forward slash exhibitions. Uh, but talk to us about the artists who are represented because across the different right. gallery spaces, uh, you've yeah. got the front gallery, the back gallery, the side gallery and an upstairs gallery as well so uh, so let's start with the upstairs gallery uh uh, simon o'carrigan's work which people would i guess if they encounter the gallery by accident they'd have to hunt simon's work out specifically go upstairs and and seek it out but he's kind of uh presenting a series of watercolors works kind of uh, responding to the mary creek and and uh kind of the i guess the area around mary creek and the yarra That's right. So they're watercolour paintings and they follow the Merry Creek and the Yarra Trail. He spent a lot of his time around those areas, as most of us did during lockdown. So this body of work was built from that second lockdown here in Melbourne. So Simon's really capturing that really tranquil sense of uh, peace and harmony that nature provides us. So the landscapes are quite utopian and and you, you almost feel like you're escaping to a different place. These are places that we're quite uh, accustomed to and they're recognizable, as you know. But somehow last year during that lockdown, as we you know, walked along those paths, every little bit of nature seemed a little bit more glorious to us. Our connection was more vital. And I feel like Simon's really captured them in his paintings. And there's these beautiful dawn lights and backlit leaves and afternoon sun that he's, you know, got in each of those paintings. And you feel like you're transported to a a wonderland almost, you know. I love his paintings. Standing in the space, it's almost meditative and you can smell the flowers blooming and hear the trickle of the Merry Creek. I'm really happy to have Simon open this year with his exhibition, A Shared Path. And there's a lovely sense of framing to a lot of the works as well. The uh, uh, the work, for example, View Over Quarries Park, Mid-Morning Winter. Uh, yes, we're looking out over the parkland, but there's a, a sense of the landscape around us as well. Uh, so that, uh, can it, that... And the way it's framed really invites us into the painting to, to think about not just the land we're looking at, but the land outside the frame and around us as well. 
Yeah, Simon's really good at really capturing the viewer's attention. This is his second time exhibiting at Off the Curb. I would classify him as a mid-career artist. He also runs workshops with young creatives and older creatives. So he has a really great manner with people. He knows how to capture his audience. He's just a natural talent. I'm really blessed to have him exhibit at Off the Curb. Following on from uh, Simon O'Carrigan's work, also landscapes, but much more urban landscapes, the works of yes. Nicholas Aplin. Yes, exactly. Nicholas Aplin's works are really, really interesting. He, he's inspired by the urban landscape, predominantly the inner city influx of development. He's, you know, uh, inspired by the brutalist architecture. I'm not sure if many of the listeners might know what that is, but it's basically a movement that started in the 50s in architecture where the style is really blocky and rigid and they're concrete structures. So what he's painting are all the precast concrete social housing developments around Melbourne. Um, and he uh, includes the uh, gum trees that were planted around the gardens of those social housing. His landscapes are very different to the quintessential landscape. He's tightening the composition so that the trees and the buildings are competing for space. There's no sky, there's no horizon line. And often as a viewer, you would question the beauty in this subject matter. But, you know, somehow Nicholas has managed to get this really great balance in his compositions, he captures dramatic afternoon light and shadow. When Nicholas first uh, proposed the body of work early in 2020, it had a very different intention. Um, and I feel that after the Victorian government bungle in the North Melbourne social housing, a, a really strong movement arose. And now I feel viewing the artworks, there's a romantic notion in them. You know, he's sort of teasing out the beauty in what we feel is ordinary. I think it's a really compelling body of work. In fact, a couple of days ago, I did a post on one of his paintings and one of our social media viewers uh, commented that she didn't think she'd, she'd usually say something about social housing, but she found the works really beautiful. They are kind of, there is a the, the sense of light and and shape mm. and, and structure and the juxtaposition mm. between building and, and kind of trees in some instances is fascinating, but there's also a darkness to them. Uh, there's the, the hints of kind of the, the shadows and what lies within or underneath as well. Okay. So there's kind of, a, there's a, an ambiguity to the works that are intriguing. Yes. Cara Mandel's uh, work, uh, the exhibition In yeah. the Beginning. Talk to us about yeah. Cara's work. Wow, this is a really important show for me. It's a bittersweet moment, actually, because it was scheduled in March 2020 uh, when we all went into lockdown. It was the beginning of the pandemic in Australia. We had no idea what we were getting into and what was to come. Um, her show was cancelled. And, you know, as a nation, we've come through a long way. And I'm so happy that we get to put on her show to start this year, New Beginnings. So it's interesting that the title of the show is In the Beginning. Her works are these beautiful watercolours, inks, gold leaf on paper. They're abstract. 
but there is this strong visual uh, sensory motifs of body and nature's connection. Um, there's this r- romantic notion of the cosmos affecting the body and the body affecting the cosmos. So she's really talking about our human connection with nature. Beautiful work. And the final exhibition, Colours of Jaipur by uh, Sarah Dean, which is on in the yeah. front gallery at Off the Curb in Collingwood. So this is presumably the work that passers-by will see that will draw them in if they... They look through into the into off the curb itself. That's right. Yes, yeah. so Sarah uh, created a body of work based on a trip that she had made to uh, to Jaipur in India in a time when we all could travel, and she was really amazed by the vibrancy of this magical place in India. Her, her compositions are really simplistic but powerful. I think because she's got the balance perfect with, you know, the planes of colour, with the the more popping shapes of forms on the composition. Um, In the second lockdown in Melbourne, I was having a really tough time, as most of us were, because it was a very rigid lockdown. And, you know, one day I had nothing to do, and I was sort of trawling through Instagram, just trying to while away time. And somehow her paintings kept coming up on my news feed. I just had this sense of joy and peace. You know, I can't. I couldn't even remember following her, but and I'd not seen her work in any other shows before. Somehow, I felt this is an artist I really want to talk to, and you know, her energy is the same as her work. There's a real calming quality about it. They engage you. They help you sort of find this calm and balance in this sort of frenetic world we live in. So it was sort of natural for me to invite her to start 2021 with her debut solo show. She's never exhibited in a gallery, so she's the perfect sort of artist we want to support. And it's also intriguing that Sarah's work, as you said, it's a response to kind of the architecture and the the, the the, the streets of Jaipur in India, but instead of uh, a more traditional, perhaps kind of representative, more literal depiction of Jaipur, yeah. being inspired by by the colour uh, of the, yeah. the, perhaps the light as well. So uh, rather than yeah, kind of just a more straightforward presentation. So certainly an imaginative response to the city. Yes, and it's it's not a figurative representation, but she's reducing all those lines and forms to colour planes and shapes. So you sort of need to dig deep and work out what she's talking about but there's a real connection I think that colour palette she's using that beautiful pastel colour really allows the viewer to you know, stand in front of the work and really absorb it The work of all four artists is showing at Off the Curb uh, gallery and studio space, space located at 66B Johnson Street, Collingwood open Thursdays and Fridays from 12.30 until 6pm and Saturdays and Sundays uh, from midday until 5pm and you can find more details at www.offthecurb .com.au I've been speaking with Off the Curb's founder and director, Sheeni Pararajasingham. Sheeni, thank you so much for joining us and I hope that the opening tomorrow night is uh, an enjoyable one. I'm sure numbers will be reduced obviously, uh, but that opening is from 6 till 9pm, so hopefully the artists get a chance to properly celebrate their work, because I know so many artists last year whose work may have been presented still virtually online, but they missed the, the social engagement, the conversation with peers and so forth. It's, it's an important part of the exhibition process, so great that they can have their work acknowledged uh, by their, their friends and their peers tomorrow at Off the Curb. Hope it goes well. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. 